The exciting conclusion to the 2020 NFL Combine is officially in the books. Next step, free agency in the draft. Today, we view things a little differently as we gain some insight straight from the field as to how star athletes make the transition moving to the next level. Also, you may have wondered, who is going to retire next year? Don't worry, we'll tell you here on Beyond the Blitz. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, ladies and gentlemen. Blitz crew back at it as always. Brandon Wells, Justin Rogers, very special guest today. We have former center for the Jacksonville Jaguars and Tampa Bay Buccaneers, John Wade. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on very much. You are uh, owner right now of Bob Wade Subaru up in Harrisonburg right now, correct? Yes, sir. Yep, Bob Wade Subaru and Bob Wade Lincoln. <laughs> so our first segment today, uh, we usually have headliners, but we're going to switch it up a little bit as our segment today is going to be from the field. It's very similar to headliners as we have a couple of bullets marked down, and we're just going to kind of discuss with our guests for a little bit. So the idea of this is to gain some insight of what playing in the NFL is actually like and what the transition from moving from team to team may actually be like as well from an NFL player himself. So we are now at the beginning of the 2020 NFL offseason. My question for you, John, is what is the transition like from playing in the postseason to waiting for next season? Well, first, you want to get to the postseason. So uh, that's the first goal. And, uh, so if you don't happen to uh, make it to the postseason, you, you get at least four extra weeks, uh, or technically, I guess, five extra weeks uh, to start your offseason. So it's nice for your body, but bad for your, you know, because that's the, the reason you're there, is to try to make the playoffs and eventually, uh, you know, hopefully bring home a Super Bowl. But uh, whenever your season ends, um, whether it be, you know, in January, February, if you made it to the Super Bowl, or last week in December, um, usually uh, guys take off um, – Anywhere from four to eight weeks, depending on their age and their body um, ailments, because, you know, a 16-game season or 17 weeks with 16 actual game season um, is a long time, and you need some time to recover. But everybody's a little bit different. I mean, some guys take off two weeks. It just, uh, you know, depends on your uh, workout regimen. So then, you know, you know, you spend time with family, friends, do some traveling, uh, whatever your uh, interests are, you know, from uh, off the field. You've been together since uh, end of July. Um, you know, grinding um, with, you know, one off week and depending on uh, how you are in that season is how much time you get off in that week, meaning, you know, wins and losses, your, your organization, your coach. Um, so, you know, you spend a lot of time together and you, you just need to get away and uh, relax mentally and physically um, before you, you know, start thinking about the, the following season. So you played for the Jaguars in the AFC Championship game, if I remember correct? Correct. And then you went from free agency to the Buccaneers the year after they won the Super Bowl. Isn't that correct as yes. well? So what was that like going to a team that just won the Super Bowl? What was the environment like and what were the players' attitudes? Well, um, I mean, they were obviously riding, you know, on a high, um, you know, winning, winning it all. That's what you're there to do. But, I mean, there's 32 teams trying to do that every year and obviously a difficult uh, task, and, uh, even if you have a super talented team. So, um, you know, they, they it was a, um, a jovial locker room, if you will. You know, they uh, you know, just won the Super Bowl. You know, they're the world champs. And uh, obviously then, you know, you get refocused in the spring and uh, summertime and try to, um, you know, make another run at it. Me coming in as a free agent, it was myself and uh, one other offensive lineman. Uh, pretty much the rest of the team was, uh, the same, you know, returning starter. So um, as happy as I was to get that call from John Gruden um, at the time being the head coach, 
you know, to come visit with them in free agency, the Super Bowl champs. Um, it was also, you know, on the inside, I was saying, you know, I don't want to be the uh, the part, the you know, the reason we don't get back to the playoffs, the reason yeah. we don't go to the Super Bowl. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, not that I was really down myself, but I mean, you know, it's just, a, I think it's a natural feeling. You know, you're going to a team, a veteran team um, that just came off of Super Bowl win. So, I um, mean, you know, it was a little, um, you know, added pressure, I guess, uh, that I, not that they put on, but, you know, that I, I think I put on myself um, internally, you know, that, hey, I want to go out here and perform with these guys that just, you know, brought home a ring. A lot of people talk about John Gruden as a coach of the Raiders now. What was John Gruden like as a coach coming from a player who he was coaching? Well, I mean, he's, every coach is different. I mean, I was with Tom Coughlin uh, for five years, and then, you know, going to Gruden, his style was completely different. Both coaches have Super Bowl rings, so, you know, it, um, it doesn't matter what your style is. You just got to get your style across to the players. Um you know, people say player friendly. I mean, I don't know what the, you know. It depends on your age in uh, in the NFL. I think what player friendly means to you, um, as far as you know. I mean, when I say that, I mean you know you do a lot of contact with a, maybe a younger group um, further into the season. Where if you had an older group of guys, you don't do as, uh, quite as much full contact, uh, full pad uh, type work. You just do a lot of speed work, and mm-hmm. uh, you, you know you're working on your timing and your game plan scheme. And I think a lot of teams have gone that direction. You know, more these days. Um, you know, not beating on each other as much during the weeks. But both styles have won championships, uh, you know, for a lot of years. So um, Gruden, Gruden was a guy that he wanted more speed, um, less, um, you know, like if you if we were winning and everything, he'd take the pads off of you. And we we still run a ton of plays, and he wanted speed, 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 but we wouldn't be banging into each other as much during the week. Um, and, you know, his offensive scheme was probably a little um, – we're well not probably – it was a lot more complicated than what we ran in Jacksonville. <laughs> um I mean, meaning, you know, just had a lot of shifts and multiple calls in the huddle, and he wanted to be in the perfect um, scenario on every every um, play if he could. You talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, they were coming into their fourth ever season in the NFL when you got drafted to them. So with teams that have just been moved, like the Raiders are being moved to Las Vegas, being moved to a very new space, what was that like to be on a team that it was just only a couple years removed from being in a new location? Well, fortunately for me, we, they'd already won. I mean, they, they started in 95, 96, they went to the AFC Championship. So, you know, 97, I can't remember what uh, what they did, honestly. But, I mean, 98, um, we go to the playoffs. 99, we're back in the AFC Championship. So it's a packed house. Uh, Jacksonville's a big city, but kind of a small-town feel. Um, you know, they're big on their college teams uh, there, Georgia, Florida, Florida State. Um, so, yeah. My last couple of years there, we weren't winning as much. But the stadium wasn't as packed, and they were more uh, focused on college. <laughs> you know, on the other hand, I go to Tampa Bay, and you know, I got recognized as a center in the grocery store, uh, which was you know, different for me. So, uh, you know, I, I could see the you know the star receiver, running back, quarterback, uh, but you know, people would say, "Oh, you know, I saw you in the paper. We signed you at center," and I was like, "Wow, okay, yeah, yes, you did." Uh, it was just a little shocking, a little, little different. I mean, some of the other cities I know um, are like that. I mean, there's, they're just ate up with their team. They know every person. So, um, and not that Jacksonville wasn't. I'm not taking anything from those fans. It was just a little bit different. I mean, being a, a fresh new, um, you know, team. You you know, just a handful of years old. Yeah. So going from team to team, you hit free agency multiple times. You're in the market. You play for three different teams, including a year with the Raiders. Uh, when a player leaves or when a teammate leaves or even when a new teammate comes in, what is that like for uh, the teams constantly changing and then yourself changing environments and always having a different team every year? Um. As when I was younger, I thought it was a little bit more difficult. Um, you know, going through college for four and a half years, and um, you know, knowing pretty much the same group, but people graduate is kind of the same concept. In Jacksonville, we had a pretty good group, and then only a few guys left. Um, I mean, a, a group that you know didn't move too much until the end, but. 
I think by the time I got halfway through, you know, my five years in Tampa, you know, you just become conditioned to the business that, you know, that's a, it's a business move. It's nothing personal. Um, it's, it's just the way it's going to work. And it's going to be you one day that's either, you know, getting sent home to do a different profession or to another team or whatever the case may be. It could, it could have been a front office change. It could have been a coaching change. It could be, you know, you're not performing anymore, which, you know, it ultimately is going to happen to everybody, I guess, except for like Brady and Breeze, but, you know, yeah. they see, but, um, you know, they're, they're one of the few, uh, you know, special elite ones that are still performing highly, uh, you know, at 20 years into the league. Definitely. Uh, speaking of some of the high caliber quarterbacks, Brady and Breeze are pocket style quarterbacks, but nowadays we're seeing a new type of quarterback, such as Lamar Jackson, who just won MVP completely with his legs. So how have offensive schemes changed from when you played in the NFL to now? And how does that affect an offensive line's blocking scheme? Well, you know, the, the running quarterbacks is a great thing is they can, um, you know, uh, create and extend plays. Um, obviously, you know, the ones with uh, premier speed like Lamar and, you know, like Michael Vick. So, uh, you know, the few, uh, you know, RG3 had that, you know, obviously he got injured. But, um, you know, the, the, as an offensive line, you don't know where they are. And they're so fast and quick and they might have avoided one thing, but you might think they're, you know, to your right side and all of a sudden they're back on your left side. Um, and maybe not as a center as much, but, the, you know, I know that's not great for the tackles. Um, you know, they're out there blocking, the, you know, the most uh, talented guy on the field being, you know, the left to right defensive end. Those are typically, you know, the, the freakish athletes. And, um, you know, if, if the guy, if you think he's back in the pocket, then all of a sudden he rolls out to, you know, to, if you're the left tackle, he rolls out to your right. I mean, what are you going to do? Uh, you, you don't know. You don't have eyes in the back of your head. Um, so, you know, the, those guys are usually fast enough, and they can, you know, create for their uh, offensive linemen. But I think as a, as a lineman, that uh, that part could be a little bit difficult at times. But I think the the talents that these guys bring, you know, with the premier speed and agility yeah. um, outweighs the any negative, you know, from the offensive line perspective. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Definitely. So uh, you spent some time in the, in uh, IR, right? You were injured a couple yes. of different times in the season. So we have players like Ben Roethlisberger who are coming back next season and an early candidate for Comeback Player of the Year award. But what do NFL players do to prepare themselves during and after an injury to come back and still compete at that high level? I mean, I really think it depends on your um, injury. Um, you know, I, mean, I, I went through a, a knee injury, which has been my worst. Um, you know, well, the first time I was on IR, it was a broken foot multiple times. And it's not really much rehab for that. I mean, it was yeah. just, um, you know, I had a, had a surgery and it kind of, you know, healed up and, you know, move on from there. You know, on the knee or um, if you had a shoulder, elbow, stuff like that, you have to rehab pretty hard for, you know, nine to ten months. Um, sometimes people make it back sooner. But and then, you get you know, you get the, the, the structure and your muscles back right, but you have to get your fast twitch muscles back, um, which is the, probably the hardest thing, especially for a skill position. You know, shuffling around at center on the offensive line is not like playing corner or DB or her running back. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, depending on what your injury, you know, Ben's case, you know, his is obviously on his throwing elbow. Big deal. Um, yeah. <laughs> huge deal for that matter. He's not a young guy anymore. Um, so, but, um, you know, he's been through so many injuries that are undocumented and, and, you know, he's a tough dude. And if he wants to play, uh, I'm sure he'll, he'll be fine. And hey, let's be honest. If he's at 85, 90% with his throwing arm, it's probably good enough. He's smart enough to make all the throws and plays. It's still a dangerous weapon. Yeah. We talked about physically when it comes to injuries but what was it like for you emotionally mentally during that season also how do your teammates come around you while you were injured what did it feel like for you um i mean the teammates are great um you know it's not but unfortunately you know they, they still have a job to do it's a very regimented long days um you know people have or some people have the you know thought that you just play on sunday i mean it's a it's a job uh playing on sunday is the payoff for that job um you know some you have some couple 12-hour days uh you know, you know on the prep days for the week and 
um, a few more, you know, not quite as long as that, but, um, so you, you know, you do get to see guys, but you're in there rehabbing usually like when they're in meetings and stuff like that. And depending on, um, your team and uh, situation, sometimes you might be around, you know, at practice traveling stuff like that, you know, like, like Ben, you know, just as we mentioned him, you know, he's got the headset on, he's talking to the guys on the field, see, telling them what he sees, you know, trying to help out and coach them up as far as, you know, yourself. I mean, that's, that's the each individual, um, I mean, um, when I hurt my knee, now that was a pretty bad knee injury. And, you know, I questioned um, after the surgery, the surgery went great. But, you know, I questioned myself at times during rehab, you know, you know, I would go, am I going to be able to come back? Am I going to be able to play at the, at that level again, you know, go out there and compete. And, um, you know, it all worked out. I was able to, but, um, you know, some guys, it doesn't happen. And, uh, it, it, it sometimes it's the surgeon, sometimes it's the rehab, sometimes, you know, there's a million yeah. factors. I mean, look at Alex Smith, unfortunately, you know, he got a, he had a terrible break, but it shouldn't have happened the way, I mean, he shouldn't be where he is. I mean, he just happened to get an infection and, you know, and it, you know, he almost lost a leg. So, yeah. you know, you never know what can happen. And then you have players like Ryan Shazier who are still employed by the Steelers because they want to pay off the rest of his. Right. And, it, but I mean, look yeah. what he's done. Uh, I mean, how many people have, have had that kind of injury and then come back and be able to do, you know, walk again on mm-hmm. his own, you know, doing box jumps. I saw a video of him doing it. Uh, you know, if he ever gets on the field again, who knows? But the fact that he's going to be able to walk on his own power for the rest of his life, I mean, that's impressive. And, you know, impressive to the doctors and, the, um, you know, the training staff up there in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I mean, from a fan perspective, it seems like when you guys play on Sunday, that's, like you said, the only time we really see you. So it's right. more, I mean, you guys are people too. You're not just NFL players. You're not just stars in the league. Well, I mean, Tuesday's a day off, so most people have a you know Saturday, Sunday, or Sunday you know day off for their um, you know whatever job you're in. So Tuesday's a day off in the NFL for everybody, and unless you're injured, then you have to go in and uh, you know and see the training staff. But I mean, even Tuesday's a day off if um, you know if you're a real um, pro at your job, you're going to study film and tape and you know get prepared for uh, Wednesday, which is Wednesday and Thursdays are long work days. Friday, you know, usually, usually done by one or two, um, depending. And then Saturday's a, you know pretty light walk through and either travel or go home until you um, you know hit the hotel in the evening. So in high school, you had a weight room named after you. In college, you were inducted in the Marshall Athletics Hall of Fame. And with the NFL draft right around the corner, we have a lot of young talent who are about to enter the next transition up in the world of football. So what was that transition like for you from being a star at each level and then constantly having to go to the next level and still have those high expectations of you to compete? Um, well, from from high school, I mean, I, I wanted to play ball in college, and I, you know, I had one opportunity there. And I, well, I had more opportunities. I should take that back. I, I was offered one um, full scholarship, so that's why I ended up in Marshall because um, that was a no brainer for me. <laughs> hey, they're gonna pay for my school. I'm in. Um, but but uh, so anyway, you know, and, and and I actually sat the bench for three years at Marshall. Um, there was a coaching staff change, and um, so a new staff came in, gave me an opportunity. They liked me. Um, I started started for two years. You know, I happened to have a guy named Randy Moss on my team who uh, helped me get probably a lot more looks than I should have because uh, they were there to see him. But, they, you know, obviously since they're there or they're getting the tape, they're going to, you know, look at the field. So uh, I always thank Randy for uh, getting, you know, a lot more looks, like I said, uh, than I probably would have, you know, if he wasn't there. You know, I didn't even think I was going to get drafted come the day before the draft. I mean, a lot of people had said um, a lot of things, you know, you're going to go here, you're going to go there. And, and that was just people talking, in my opinion. So I did end up getting drafted on the second day in the fifth round and uh, went to Jacksonville and was, uh, you, know, ha- you know, happy I got the phone call, thankful for the opportunity. Went down, there was the third guy. You know, they had the starter, they had the second guy who they just brought in a free agency, and I don't even know why they had me there, honestly. So, um, th- but the starter had had back, se- uh, back surgery in the offseason. Mm-hmm. He gets hurt the third day of training camp, never plays another snap of football. 
Wow. So, um, you know, I ran the twos and the threes, all that training camp, um, made the team. Um, it was a it was a tough training camp, <laughs> especially going from Huntington, West Virginia weather to Jacksonville, Florida weather, and it was hot that summer. I mean, I think it averaged around ninety eight real temperature, not including oh. the humidity. Oh. And and I and I'm a heavy sweater, so uh, it it, it uh, had a lot of IVs. But um, anyway, I made the team, I got my opportunity. Um, so for me, it was just. You know, I was thankful to have it, the opportunity to go out there and then, you know, just worked as hard as I could to, you know, try to make the team. And then I just uh, kept my head down the whole rest of my career and tried to make the team every year because, you know, except for maybe a handful of guys, uh, maybe not even a handful, you know, your job's on the line every year. You know, mm-hmm. you're not guaranteed um, just because you started last season or you played you know, whatever position, whatever role to team, you're not guaranteed that for the next fall. Even if you won the Super Bowl, they still are looking to, you know, Bill Belichick does it all the time. You know, he plugs and plays different guys that fit in his scheme that other teams have cut or, um, you know, weren't drafted or whatever, but they end up, you know, flourishing in his his scheme yeah. because, you know, he knows what he needs, you know, at a certain position. So, you know, I, I know it kind of went off script there, but um, you know, <laughs> good, I, I was good. just happy to, um, you know, have the opportunity and um, it, it was fun. Yeah, Bill is definitely the king of making lesser players look like all-time stars, and then they go somewhere else, and then they just don't play the same. But what you said about Jacksonville always being so hot, because you played almost your entire career in Florida, Mm. what is that like as an offensive lineman having to stay at a certain weight and always being just bombarded by pounds and pounds of sweat every day? Well, uh, it wasn't good for the quarterbacks in my case, you know, because I was probably the heaviest sweater on the team. But um, anyway, uh, just eating a lot, um, pumping a lot of fluids, um, like I said, after practice games um you know getting a lot of um ivs fluids uh, just to, unfortunately uh, um when you're a heavy sweater you also you know you're gonna lose so much and you're gonna cramp so uh, cramping's no fun at any um school any sport any city for but, sure yeah that's, that's really painful for if nobody's experiencing that i hope you don't have to but uh <laughs> it's no fun but uh, yeah you just got to learn how to hydrate you know especially um, you know, on uh, you don't hydrate for a sunday game on sunday morning or saturday night i mean you start that on friday afternoon after the last practice you know you really got to get the fluids in you because um, you know you can lose any anywhere from 10 to 15 pounds in, during a game. Um, and that's obviously not normal in a three-hour period. No. And I remember back when I used to wrestle, I would lose 10 pounds and be concerned, but I'd be fine. So I couldn't imagine what that's like, yeah. 20 pounds. So you talked a little bit about training camp. Uh, the NFL offseason sees a lot of unique workouts. The Falcons trained with Navy SEALs. David Johnson trains his vertical jump by just leaping out of a pool full strength. And then James Harrison will use every single plate in every single gym in all of Pittsburgh just to work out his push power. <laughs> what is the most unique workout you had to do in training with the NFL? Well, the the unique stuff kind of started at the end of my career. Um, so the you know a lot of the core um, subject came up uh, basically when I was – Starting, uh, I guess, in um, 06, 07, then I was in Oakland in 08 and 09. And, then, you know, some of that came, you know, I was like, core, I don't know what that is. I don't have a core. Uh, <laughs> or it doesn't show visually anyway. Um, but, you know, a lot of those ball ball and band work, um, you know, you mentioned jumping out of the pool. I mean, that's just a freak strength athlete there. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's impressive, <laughs> however you get it done. But I mean, I, you know, we we use the ropes, chains. I mean, there were some other some other methods. But the things that I think they do, you know, since I've left uh, or since I retired, uh, it's I think it's been um, you know stuff I, I don't I'm not even aware of, you know. But I know core is a, you know a big thing on uh, training, and it makes sense. You know, if your core is strong, your whole body's strong, you can. Um, you know, do things more efficiently as an athlete. So um, mm-hmm. I, I can't uh, give you a great answer on that um, other than, the, you know, that we were doing, we were doing uh, towards the end, you know, a lot more uh, physio ball work, uh, you know, for a different variety of things. Yeah. 
Through the last year, we've already seen a lot of NFL stars such as Luke Kuechly, Eli Manning, and Andrew Luck hang up their cleats for good. What is the adjustment like for players when they retire? Because you came back home to small town Harrisonburg after being this big star in the league for years and years. <laughs> what do players do in that other transition phase? Not going to the next level, but just going off the level completely. You know, I can only speak for myself. Um, and I think it depends on what kind of career you had. Uh, meaning, or what your expectations of yourself were, um, mm-hmm. you know, in playing. You know, if you only made it a year and you were cut and then you were maybe, you know, on the bubble with a couple teams and maybe you never saw the field, or if, you you know, your career was cut short due to injury. Um, but in my case, I can only speak to that. Um, you know, I, I didn't think I was going to get one year. I got credit for 12. I mean, that 12, 12th year I was on injured reserve. Um but you know, I didn't. I didn't think I was going to get, get get there. I didn't think I was going to stay that long. So mm-hmm. I thought it was a great run, um, great ride. I, I was just happy to uh, do it. Um, yeah, but also, um, I didn't like watching the tape anymore of, my, of myself. Um, you know, blocks I could make all day long. You know, my first couple of years, um, just I could make them, but they looked a lot uglier. Yeah. <laughs> and so for me, I knew it was time um, to you know move on to the second the second phase of life. I mean, I always planned on uh, coming here and learning the car business, and you know let my dad retire. You know, I just took a little twelve year detour, and um, like I said, so for my in my case, it was pretty simple. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I you know I, I herniated a disc in my neck, and I didn't want to have that surgery, so I just left that alone. And then um, like I said, I was already kind of tired of watching the tape. Uh, you know, when you don't like watching what you see on film of yourself, then you know it's probably the, the end is near. Yeah. Or it should be now. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I can feel that. You talked about not wanting to watch tape of yourself after you left the NFL. How much of the NFL did you start watching? And did you watch the NFL all after you retire? Uh, oh, yeah. I, I, I definitely watch it. Um, I mean, I watch it every Sunday. I don't... Um... I don't sit there and study the game like I used to. You know, I used to have, uh, well, it started off with VHS, then went to DVD, and then I had my own laptop at the end. Um, that's just how far technology evolved during my career. But um, I enjoyed watching it as a fan. You know, just where's the ball going? I mean, obviously, I do know some scheme, and, um, you know, that's ingrained in my head forever. Um, so, But I don't sit there and study, yeah. you know, um, like, like, I, like I used to. So I just enjoy it as a fan and um, hang out and if something happens, yeah, I'm, you know, I don't, uh, I don't get to, you know, too crazy. I know some friends of mine, and they they have a whole routine and a seance going on in the jersey and all that. And I don't go that far. I mean, I'm a Redskins fan. I mean, all the teams I played for, I, you know, I hope they do well. But I grew up watching the Skins, being from here, and um, you know, and the good teams they had in the '80s. Um, so I'd like them to get back there one day, but I don't know if that's a reality uh, anytime soon or not uh, either. How much did you follow the rest of the league while you were in the league? Um. Well, it really depended on uh, who. I pretty much followed our division for the most part. I mean, always watch Monday Night Football if you weren't playing. Sunday Night Football if you were home in time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and you know, watching your position and watching other defensive linemen. In my case, at that point, I mean, when I watched a game, you know, while I was playing, it was more I was studying the game than I was enjoying that. I did enjoy it. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, I was. It was more. I know this. I'm going to face this guy in six weeks or. You know, I played this guy two weeks ago, and I, you know, I just was seeing what happened, or knew that guy from wherever. Um, so it's stuff like that. So it's, it was a different perspective. When you left Jacksonville and when you left Tampa, did you still have conflicts wishing that they would win, or when you were? With them, would, did you want the Redskins to still win? Were you rooting for certain teams? No, I mean when I was on that team, I mean I was only focused on that team. Yeah. Um, you know, after we were out, if we went, I mean I went to the playoffs um, what four times. But anyway, if we're out of the playoffs, uh, you know, and when we get up to the Super Bowl, I'd say, you know, I hope so and so wins. But I didn't really care because I wasn't there. You know, that's the that's the goal. Yeah. So there's only one. You know, there's 31 losers every year in that league. Uh, so if you you know if you don't bring home the hardware, then you're a loser. Uh, which is you know it's hard to say it that way, but that's a fact. You know? Yeah. So this is just one question I really want to know out of curiosity: Who is the hardest player you ever had to block? 
That's a tough one to say, um, just because every player is good. You're not there uh, if you're just okay. Meaning, you know, whether you're the yeah. starter or you're the number two guy. So um, probably a bunch of guys that I can't even name their name were just as tough. Um, I mean, some of the more notable now. I mean, the guy named Vince Wilfork from uh, New England. When he was a rookie, and even you know later in his career, but he was just uh, you know a huge man and low to the ground. And I never forget we had a scheme. And we were going to do this against them, and um, they wanted me to take him one way or the other. And the guards were going to run up here because we were playing. They were playing the um, the three four um, instead of the four three, so that you know the guards were going right, right up and grab the backers, and I'm just going to let you know take Vince whichever way. That that lasted about a quarter and a half, and, co- and, the, co- and the coach said, "Are you gonna be able to move him?" I said, "Absolutely not." And I said, "If you want him moved, I was like, I don't even know if we can move him with a double team. You might want to start, you know, running towards the tackle." I was like, yeah, "That's just a that's just a grown man in there." So I mean, there's plenty of others, um, but um, you know, he he was one of the more notable. I was just like, I cannot move that guy. If he doesn't want to go, I can't I can't force him. <laughs> and kind of one last question that I'm curious about before we go to our next segment. Who was your favorite player to play with, or at least the most fun player that you were to play with? I mean, the name one, um, you know, the offensive line room, I think, is one of the best rooms in football. So, I mean, we're a pretty close-knit group. We spend a lot of time watching film and stuff together. I mean, if yeah. you think about it, it's that one, one of the, I guess the offense and defensive line room, but, I mean, the offensive line room, you got to work five together plus, you know, a tight end um, at times where, you know, defensive line is four guys. So, I think, you know, all three places I was, excuse me, the, the offensive line group was always a tight-knit group. And, um, you know, not one in particular, just as a whole. It was, it was a good a good room, and, and, you know, enjoyed all those guys I worked with. So the NFL Combine just ended, and the draft is right around the corner. So a couple of thoughts about the Combine and the draft. So when you went to the Combine for a little bit, uh, what were the interviews like at the Combine? Um, not too bad with the teams, you know, like the Wonderlick test is uh, not, I don't know what it's worth. I mean, I actually scored w- well on it, but I don't know that that means anything because <laughs> the, I don't know if you've ever seen it or not, but the questions are, I don't know how to test intelligence other than they're putting you in a pressure situation under time. Um, and you know, it's not like the questions are that crazy. Um, but as far as the interviews with teams, um, you know, they, they were just kind of having a conversation, at least in my day. And I didn't, um, I didn't have a ton, ton of interviews. I mean, I probably had, I guess, eight to ten, maybe. You know, the couple of years, I guess I was there two and a half days, one and a half, two and a half. I don't know. It's been a little while since I've been there. But, yeah. um, you, you know, you go around and you walk into rooms and um, you get to get, you know, shirts and um, bags and stuff and you shake some hands. And usually, I mean, I'm sure if, you you know, you were a potential first rounder, um, you, you know, it would have been a much different scenario than, you know, what I experienced there. But the whole the the whole combine as a whole now that's it's not the greatest experience. Let's put it that way. You're getting no. uh, well, you're just getting uh, pulled on and prodded by medical staff and um, you know paraded around in front of 500 guys and you're um, you know in your short short shorts there uh, walking, <laughs> getting weighed and um, measured, and then you got to walk down the middle of this auditorium and everybody's scribbling on pads. So. Uh, it's uh, yeah. It, it's not uh, like a like. Oh man, that was the best experience I've ever had. <laughs> but it's part of the you know part of life going to the NFL if you want to do that, and uh, it can either help or drop your draft stock. So uh, you, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, you want to perform well there, um, interviews and the physical stuff. Yeah. For another question, we have so when you went to the combine, what was the environment like with some of the other guys, specifically the offensive line group that you were with? 
Oh, they were awesome. You know, everybody was experiencing the same thing. You know, you know, it's not like anybody's experienced that before. They might have been told, depending on which university they were from. We were all good. I mean, uh, like, again, the offensive line was together, and you go to the doctors together. You run the 40 together. You do the shuttle and the wonder lick, all that stuff. Um, you know, you do all that in the same time frame. So, um, you get, and you get to talk to guys that, um, you, you know, normally wouldn't have gotten to talk to from schools across the country. It, it was just, uh, it was kind of like you'd, know, you'd known them for a while, actually. I and mean, it was very easy conversation. Um, you know, nobody was a prima donna or anything like that. Everybody was just, uh, you know, I think everybody's a little bit deer in headlights. I mean, I'm sure it's a little different today. You know, everything's on TV and um, the knowledge is out there, I guess, you, if you will. You know, back in, in my day and, you know, the guys before me, I mean, the, you know, the, the Internet wasn't prevalent. There wasn't, uh, you know, everybody was kind of going into the unknown unless they'd had a teammate, you know, that had gone before and he came back and told them something. So, you know, I think I think now guys know what to expect and kind of prepare for where, you know, before you kind of go in and like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen next. <laughs> yeah. Especially because nowadays with the way technology is gone, media is probably everywhere, TVs, cameras everywhere, internet on your shoulder. So I imagine it's a lot different today. Uh, no question. So going off of that, how do you think the NFL Combine has changed in the past twenty years? Honestly, I have, I don't watch it on TV, so I'm not. I don't know what the. I mean, I can't. You know, I'm sure you still run the forty if you choose to run it, and then you do the bench press, and I, I do do the three cone drill and the, and the shuttle run at least for the and the vertical jump. I'm assuming those are the same because um, those mm -hmm. are the things you can test. You know, they, you can they. And, that's not playing football, but it tests, um, you know, football type moves and strength and your explosiveness. I mean, I get the the reason for the combine, but at the same time, I always said that if if I was in a scouting situation or um, be it at any level, I'd take all that into consideration. But I also turn the tape on. Can you play football or can you not? Definitely. And, and you know, running a forty, bench pressing, squatting, all that stuff is is part of playing football, but it's not playing the game. So yeah. turn the tape on. That's going to be you know the 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 best way to evaluate talent, in my opinion. Yeah, that was one thing that Bruce Arians said this past week that. A guy could run a 4-6 in the combine, but then in his tape, he shows that he can run a 4-3. So it doesn't really matter. Like, how much of the combine really plays a factor? I mean, it drops and raises people's draft stock a lot, but it also, I think that's why you see the first round is not always correct. Most years, I mean, I don't have percentages, but, you know, a lot of first-round picks, you know, aren't, or, or don't ever materialize to be what you know they're projected to be. You know, you get to you get the words upside, um, potential. You know, they ha they have you know upside or potential to do or become or be this, and some do and some don't. But I think if um, more more emphasis was put on the tape and you know what you do on the field, I mean, like you know, like Coach Arians was saying, I mean, that's you know that's a guy who's field you know fast on the football field. He might not be fast on the you know on the track or you know in that, in that timed environment right there. But with all the pads on during the game, he can still run away from people. Well, that's what you want. You're trying to score or you know catch or you know whatever you know whatever his position may be. So I always lean towards hey, go to the tape. Get you know if a guy played 30 games in college, study those 30 games. And play 10 games, study those, you know, whatever it is. And even then, we see Heisman Trophy winners all the time coming to the NFL and just be complete duds. We saw Jamarcus Russell come in, big star, nothing. One of the biggest busts in NFL history. Yeah, I history, played with so. him in uh, Oakland, and good guy. Um, I'm just, sure he was. just never, um, you know, just, you know, couldn't make the throws. Um, I mean, he could throw the ball through the wall, but he just couldn't make the, you know, the throws he needed on the field. Um uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, you know, stuff like that happens all the time, and I, I often wonder, you know, I mean, you got billion-dollar organizations, and you know, why wouldn't they spend more emphasis on on that, you know, first-round investment on a, on a lot more tape time? And not mm -hmm. that they don't. I know they got, 
you know, departments full of people and studying and those guys grind. Believe me, they spend hours and hours in there, you know, because they want to keep their job. They want to do well, too. But it just seems like, um, you know, um, the higher round picks um, don't work out more often than not. Yeah. And so we have guys like Chase Young, the edge rusher for Ohio State, skip some of the position drills. Why do you think that some players skip the position drills or just skip the combine altogether? Well, in some cases, um, you know, when your talent is you know high enough, you're a premier talent, as I would say, they can basically say that. Go to the tape. You know, it's kind of a, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they were advised by their agent, whoever that, you know, whoever or agency, whoever they signed up with. Hey, you don't need to do this. You can only hurt yourself. You can't, you, you know, you can't improve your draft stock. Mm-hmm. You know, you're already projected top five, number one, whatever that yeah. is. You know, if you went out there and you ran a bad 40, or you jumped, uh, you know, you ran a, your vertical wasn't what, it, what everybody's you know said it was in the past. That's only going to hurt you, and it doesn't mean that you still won't be drafted there. But it's just one more reason for a team to knock you and not draft you there, or say, oh well, you know, you, you only ran yeah. a, you know, you ran a four eight when everybody else says you're a four five nine guy. Mm-hmm. You know what happened? Yeah. So I think that's you know kind of one of the reasons some of these you know top guys um, you know choose not to. And what is the biggest difference between working out at the combine and working out your pro day? I think just the anxiety of it, at least for me. I mean, yeah, and, and maybe not these days. Like I said, it's a lot more known about what's expected of you and what you're going to do at the combine. But, you know, on your pro day, it's your home environment. You're around your coaches and staff, people coming to you. It's just uh, more familiar. You've already been to the combine. So, um, you know, if that was bad, like mine, I had a bad combine as far as, you know, 40 time. You know, bench wasn't great. Um, it still wasn't great. It was better. You know, I ran a better 40, um, you know, at my pro day and my bench was a little better, but that was a little weak. But I'd say environment, just, you know, being, being at home, you know, it's kind of like sleeping in your own bed versus, uh, you know, being elsewhere. <laughs> you just have, you know, comfort. it's a little bit more comfortable. So after the combine and after your pro day and everything, what was the process like meeting with teams? And did you have any idea that you would get drafted at all or who you get drafted to? Um, no. As far as um, no no more meeting with teams for me, but I mean I was going to be a you know late first day uh, second day guy. The other guys you know first uh, their first round guys definitely have a lot more activity, a lot more meetings. Whether they a team comes to them, they go to go to the team. You know whatever the team decides. Uh, in my case, none, and I had no idea as far as drafting. Now uh, the Jaguars called me in the fourth round, but didn't take me. But then I was still there in the fifth round, so they took me in the fifth. So uh, that was about that was about all I knew. Uh, so I was on the phone, and then no. <laughs> That's awesome. So um, anyway, uh, but you know everybody's experience is a little bit different. I mean, yeah. and, and like I said, this has been a, a, a long time now. You know, over twenty years. So I don't know if you know things are a little different on uh, information being given. Um, yeah. It, it, now, and I say the back. Now, Peyton Manning was my draft year. I think Peyton knew he was going first to the Colts. Um, you know, before they got on TV <laughs> and said it. I'd say so. And that's very interesting. I've never heard of players being called the round before and not getting drafted by them and then getting called again. Well, I guess they, they decided there was a guy uh, that played D-line for another school that they took uh, that they wanted more than me. They probably had some intel that he was going to go before and wanted him then. Well, right, that somebody else was going to take yeah. him and they wanted to uh, take a chance on him. You know, who knows? Those war rooms are um, exhausting. Um, I haven't sat in it during, but I, I, I hear um, or have heard plenty of stories and Guys that leading up to the draft have spent, you know, guys at, at teams have spent, you know, countless hours, you know, two, three hours a night sleep, sleeping at the office. I mean, they're exhausted, worn out. Like I said, they're trying to make the right decision. And, and there's always, you know, it's never a unanimous, uh, unanimous decision. Oh, yeah, we're going to take this guy, this guy, and this guy. You know, there, there's always somebody saying something different, mm-hmm. whether it be ownership, um, you know, personnel, GM, you know, all those factors got to come together and then make a decision. So yeah. from the staff perspective, you know, it's a tough, uh, it's a tough uh, run up to the draft, up, up to and through the draft. 
You said you got drafted day two. What was that night like for you, or that day, depending on when you got drafted? Well, I didn't really expect to be on day on day one. So I um, mean, I watched until Randy got drafted, and uh, you know he slid in the first um, that yeah. year. So it took a little longer than I expected, and that, I turned it off after that. I didn't even uh, because I, I really didn't believe I was going that day. So really wasn't worried about it. When I say we're not worried, I just didn't. I said we'll see what happens tomorrow, and um, so that was it. Um, you know, fifth round came, and that got the call. Well, I got the call on the fourth and the fifth, and. Yeah. Yeah, so I had to wait 148 spots, and I, uh, they, and they took me. So, and finally, what was it like to finally put on an NFL jersey as a Jacksonville Jaguar? Um, it was awesome. You know, to make the team, you know, you go through the first cut, second cut. I mean, I think that day was the hardest. You know, there was a Sunday. I think they do it before Sunday now, but it used to be Sunday uh, was the final cut. I think by four o'clock. So if you don't get a phone call before o'clock, you, you know, you made the team. <laughs> So just kind of waiting around all day, uh, wondering, wondering, wondering. Um, so th- that day was definitely a long day, um, you know, because I've already been through training camp and, and, and put all the work in and, uh, you know, was just hoping it was good enough to make it. So moving on now to uh, old-fashioned Beyond the Blitz style. Uh, Justin, you want to tell me what time it is? What time is it, Brandon? It's time for way too early predictions. So today we're going to go through which players we think may retire after the 2020 season. So these are players who have pretty much lived up to their prime. They're past it. As you said earlier, they may not no longer like what they see on the film. <laughs> so we're going to go through and see who may retire after next season. Justin, you want to start us off? Yeah, I'll start you off. I'll start you off with a guy who just signed with the Seattle Seahawks and Greg Olson. I think uh, I was surprised that he signed with another team. Uh, he's getting up there in age, and uh, you definitely, when you see guys who are starting to get injured more and are starting to get hit by the injury plague, you wonder whether for them it's worth it to be playing in the NFL and to be undergoing um, those physical conditions, as you said, over the offseason and um, during the season as well. So I think. It could be one of those situations where he wins a Super Bowl with the Seahawks and retires. I can definitely see it because the Seahawks are a pretty good team going into this 2020 season. Yeah, uh, he also only signed a one-year contract deal. He's getting up there in age. I mean, he may be a Hall of Famer, may not, but if he goes on to win a Super Bowl with Seattle, I could definitely see it. So my player I want to talk about first is, I've talked about him a little bit earlier, how I don't think he's going to get signed by the start of next season. But again, we'll see what happens. And that's Indominus Sue. You know, he's getting up there in age. He's a free agent now. I don't think the Butts are going to resign him simply because he wants way too much money. They have to kill Barrett. They need to resign. He's going to hit free agency. No one's going to want to give him the money he's looking for until about halfway through the season. I think someone who is contending is going to sign him. He's going to be a one-year player. And then afterwards, no, I mean, still, no one's going to want to resign him after the one-year contract deal. And he's just going to retire. Call it a career. You know, it was a good career through all the ups and downs old-fashioned and Dominican Sue had. Good career and all in all. And he's going to retire after next year. Well, comment on um on sue i did play against him when he was uh, first out and uh, that's another full grown man i was who i also should have put in you know in the earlier segment with uh willful he was one of the you know guys that came out i mean i felt like when i started uh, playing the guys were you know 320 ish and then they went to the 350 360 range which could still move you know side to side and they weren't you know they weren't just they weren't a bad looking 350 360 if you can believe that and um sue was one of those so um as far as you know what he does i, you know, I have no idea but i mean it, when he when he wants to move you he can move you um I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I could, you know, bring up the the quarterback situation. I think it depends on um, you know wherever Brady signs. Um, I know he says he wants to play until he's forty five. You know, and barring injury, I, I would assume he would. But I, I really think Drew Brees might might be done after this one, uh, and not because he can't still play. The, you know, twenty one or twenty years. You know, that's a great run. Um, he's got kids growing up. He's active in their lives. Um, not that Tom's not, um, but 
I, I think he might be a little closer than uh, Brady, um, but we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, who knows? They might both play until they're 45. Maybe they don't want Brady to catch him in the yard uh, race. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I think he's got him about what three or four thousand yards. So you know, if he left uh, Brady on the field one more season, he could lose the, uh, the, the you know the all-time passing leader. Uh, so could be that's very, pretty. That's a pretty nice one to have. Could yeah. be a very silent rivalry between the two. Yeah. Passive aggressive. You like you yeah. quit? No, you quit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, another guy that I have is Jimmy Graham, another tight end. Yeah. Uh, I think a theme that I have for these guys are injuries. I think Jimmy Graham goes through a lot of injuries and a lot of inconsistencies. And I think for Greg Olson, it would come down to injuries. For Jimmy Graham, it comes down to who's going to sign him. Will there be any team that actually wants to sign Jimmy Graham after the seasons that he had in Green Bay? I think Green Bay is kind of tired of Jimmy Graham. Um, a lot of the teams are because they have this high expectation that he's going to play really well, and then he just falls off. So Jimmy Graham would be one of the guys I would say, maybe not 2020, but 2021 definitely, but you could see him retire this up, upcoming offseason. Who I think is going to retire soon is LaShawn McCoy. He has one more year left in him. He is probably not going to play for the Chiefs next season. I predict he may go back to Philly, finish his career one more year in Philadelphia, and then call it quits because he hasn't produced on a mass level. He had one good year in Buffalo, but other than that, he hasn't been the top-tier caliber running back he was when he was in Philly. So maybe he'll have a good season next year if he goes there and plays that route. But after that, I think he's done. And then you go back to another quarterback... See at the center uh, quarterback relationship here. Um, <laughs> none of these guys actually, but um, you know Ryan Fitzpatrick's not getting any younger. Yeah, um, he's he's um, you know he's had ups and down careers. I mean he's looked like a you know superstar all pro perennial all pro at times, and then you know not so much uh, other times. Uh, yeah, he had the Fitz magic going on a couple of years ago, and then um, you know so I, I don't know um, j- just because you know he's simply he's getting up in age, and uh, you know I think he's been relatively healthy. I know he had a few injuries, but um, you know I think he's what thirty seven this year. He's getting up there, thirty eight somewhere in that range. So hey, and he's had a pretty good run at it. Um, you know, and, and being a backup, you know, maybe I'm wrong because being a backup in the NFL, if you got a healthy guy in front of you, it's you know not a bad way to make a living. Other than you know as a competitor, you want to be on the field, right. but um, you know it's better than um, you know selling cars for a living. I can uh, monetarily, <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> man, John, stealing my pick, man. Oh, I, I, I read your mind. mind. You read my mind, John. Well, another guy I could definitely talk about is another offensive lineman, uh, Andrew Whitworth, a guy who was drafted by the Bengals, played for the Rams, went with the Rams on that Super Bowl run, a part of that NFC Championship winning team for the Rams, especially with Todd Gurley in the backfield. He really helped with that, but he's getting up there in age. I think the Rams are at a spot right now where they could draft a tackle. I mean, this upcoming draft does have a lot of good tackles, um, and they have a a good amount of cap space where they could get a guy in free agency who can at least come in and compete for a job. Andrew Whitworth, I'm sure he could still play in the NFL, but I think just for him right now, it might be the best to retire. So my final player I want to talk about, staying with the running backs, old man walking or running in this case, Frank Gore. You know, Justin, we were having a conversation earlier. You think he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I don't quite agree on the same wavelength. I do think he's a Hall of Famer, but in that aspect, I'm not sure, but he's still a great player all-time great for sure, especially when it comes to his statistics. You know, just similar to LeSean McCoy, he's getting up there in age. He's not playing at the same level he used to. He's still a very consistent and trustworthy running back. You can rely on him in big situations, but at the end of the day, you know, he's made his money. He's made his dues. He might as well just hang up the cleats and call it quits if I were Frank. Hey, just uh, no, Frank. He's uh, he's a stud. I mean, to play running back at the level he's played at, you know, for all the years, and um, you know, the train the way he has in the off season there to stay at that level, um, and gone and fought through injuries too. I mean, that, he's an impressive guy to watch live. Um, if you ever have the opportunity, or maybe this year for whatever reason, you should take it. Um, and as far as uh, I had to comment on the first ballot Hall of Fame. 
I don't know what they're going to vote on. I mean, I think um, he should be, but I don't know if he will be. Um, his stats say yes. Um, what is he, third now, all-time, I think, right? Not, didn't he get that spot last year? Or, so. or he's going to get it this year? Yeah. So, um, you know, you can't – that's a lot of yards in that league. So, I'm going to finish off with two because I'm the guest. So, uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to stay with the running back theme. And Adrian Peterson, another guy that's, you know, a, a stud and um, – or maybe he's number three and Gore – I don't know, somewhere in there. I mean, I obviously that. Walter's number one and then uh, I can't remember. But regardless, he's up there as well and, um, you know, had, had a great career. And is still, you know, played at a high level last year. You know, I don't know – if he's, you know, what his uh, play time's going to be, um, as far as you know, the amount of touches he'll get. But I know, he, no, I don't know that anybody runs the ball harder than Adrian Peterson. I mean, maybe Frank Gore. Maybe they should be on the same team <laughs> together, and it's just going to be, a, you know, Ooh. you're going to be physically black and blue after the game. Uh, <laughs> you know, they might only have 50 yards, but they're going to, you're going to know you played them. So, uh, I, you know, I, I'm not sure if he'll retire or not because I think he just has too much drive, you know, without injury. But um, you know, he's definitely getting up there in age and uh, playing, playing running back. Uh, you know, taking a lot of shots. And then my second guy, I got to go with uh, Witten if he even gets on a team this year, which, no. he's, which he's expressed that he Again. wants to be on a team. I don't know if, you know, his team, being the Cowboys, or anybody else picks him up. But if he does um, indeed make a roster, I think this would probably be his um, his final season. I can't believe we're still talking about Witten at this point. Coming out of retirement, work for a broadcasting crew, come back out of retirement. and, and Crazy, crazy. Right. And to comment on Frank Gore and Adrian Peterson, Frank Gore is number three all-time in rushing yards, and Adrian Peterson is number five. All right. How far are they apart? They are, according to Pro Football Reference, they are about 1,000 yards apart. Ooh. Well, it depends on uh, if they want to hand in the rock. He could probably get 1,000 yards. I just don't know if they're going <laughs> to give it to him. <laughs> and that's hard for Adrian Peterson to really get the rock in Washington because you have Darius Geis there who is a talented running back just keeps getting hurt and then they drafted Bryce Love last year and then you have Chris Thompson who they signed to a deal right. a couple years ago he's on a contract year so he's going to want to perform too so there's just a lot of guys in that backfield it's going to be hard for him to get some touches but it's Adrian Peterson he's going to get some touches hey well they got him for uh, good money so uh, if they're going to pay him they should fit. I mean they don't have to give him a thousand yard season but I mean I definitely think he has some relevance left to him you know if they want to play you know hard-nosed downhill football so that's all the time we have for you here today. We've run through everything we've wanted to talk about. Thank you very much, John, for coming out. You had a lot of really good things to say, a lot of good insight. Hey, thanks a lot for having me, guys. I really appreciate it, and best of luck in the future on your show. Thank you very much, man. I appreciate it. Blitz crew, Brandon Wells, Justin Rogers. Uh, tune in next Friday for another episode of Beyond the Blitz. If you haven't already, go follow our Twitter page. That's Beyond underscore Blitz. We post content every single day, as well as guest profiles and sneak peeks for upcoming episodes. Also, we are now on Apple Podcasts, so we're now on two platforms, and we will continue to try to expand to more and more platforms as we continue. Thank you very much for listening, and of course, stay purple. This has been Beyond the Blitz.